Hello world, do you want to know what's on my mind? Simulation theory, which is ironically very, I would say, connected to the idea of mind, in essence, because what simulation theory is, or what at least a lot of people think it is, if they know the term, is that we're all living in a video game. Interesting theory, right? So I, I, I kind of personally want to give the little caveat here, that when it comes to definitions, you know, I always have to give my own in comparison to the accepted definition. And uh, also have to, I would suppose, compare it to what people actually think when you use a, a certain term. So what do people think when you talk about simulation theory? I think the first thing that naturally comes to mind is the idea that we're, you know, we're living in a video game or that we're caught in some kind of matrix type scenario. If um, some of you haven't seen that movie, watch it. It's definitely a, a must-see classic. Becoming yeah, a classic. Cult, cult classic, I would say. In any case, what simulation seems to be, in terms of the theory itself, is something a lot more complex and maybe even wondrous than just the simple idea that we're in a video game. Uh, and I've been studying and researching what simulation theory is all about for the last few years. It's something that I've always been interested in since the beginning of, well, I guess the beginning of the time that I actually found out that it existed. In essence, The Matrix, the movie, was actually, some people say it was based off of the paper that a guy named Nick Bostrom wrote. He's a philosopher who uh, has, I'm not sure if he started this foundation or if he's just the uh, director of it, but it's called the Future of Humanity Foundation. And it's almost like a think tank, I, I think. Um, and it just basically studies various patterns and future possibilities for when it comes to dangers uh, on the existential level for humanity. So, kind of interesting that we have a think tank, like a serious philosophical think tank that takes care of that, right? Um, just calculating odds and um, possibilities. And so this philosopher had written this theory in which he doesn't explicitly prove or try to make the statement that we are living in a simulation. But what he does do um, is lay out three scenarios that are pretty much the highly likely. There are three and then there doesn't seem to be any other three. It's called a trilemma. Right? There isn't any other sort of possibilities outside of, of those three that he lays out. And all three sort of seem to uh, lead us to the idea that simulation is in some way a, a real thing. So, you know, you, you could say, okay, is it real? Well, technically it is because we simulate all the time, right? That's what a video game is. We're simulating a, an experience, if you will a certain type of reality, we're simulating characters and people and events and so on. So it's kind of crude, uh, if, if you're going to think of, oh, we're all just inside of a video game. It's a crude way to think about it, but it is the, the initial thought that we have because it's easier to think of things that way. But uh, if you dive deeper into this uh, theory, simulation theory becomes a lot more interesting because it takes into account not only the big philosophical questions like what is consciousness or, you know, who are we, where are we going, what is purpose, so on and so forth. But it also 
makes you think about certain other things, such as computation. You know, how would we be able to simulate something like the reality that we're in now, right? Is that something that we can possibly achieve one day? Uh, and that would take a great amount of computation, right? Like, at the moment, we can't simulate a real-life experience, right? You can't just put on some kind of headset and then feel like you're actually in Cabo drinking uh, tequila, right? And getting boned by some local hot stuff. <laughs> uh, you, you know, you just don't have the computational power to do that. However, it doesn't mean that it's not possible, that there isn't a certain amount of computation out there in the future that would allow us to simulate to that degree. And I would strive to say that, in fact, it's not that far into the future in terms of possibilities. And so that's just one level of what simulation theory is all about, right? Whether it's possible to simulate and then what questions arise out of that. What is the meaning or how does meaning sort of reinvent itself? Where does it stand in regards to how we should live our lives and so on once you do start to simulate on that level where it's completely indistinguishable from reality? So that's the, the first thing. And then there's another way to think about simulation. It's that, are we being simulated already? Is everything that reality seems to be uh, as a form of consensus between the other characters, if you will, in, in, in the planet or on the planet, is it, is it a simulation, right? If, if you and I agree that this reality is a reality, it exists, and it seems very realistic to the degree where all you can accept about it is that it's the base, it's, it's the basic form of existence. We, there's nothing else, right? We know that you and I are here, um, and there are physical laws in the universe and so on, and material stuff. If that's the case, um, how can we come to know that we are being simulated? Well, that's the interesting thing about the theory, is that you can start to... I would say untangle certain things so that you can start to understand how it would be possible for simulation theory to um, to actually happen within the laws of physics. So in terms of the current technology that we have, we know that we can't simulate, but we do know that it's possible to at least simulate to the degree where a few people would be able to jump into this machine and experience it, right? But in order to simulate a reality to the degree where every single conscious human being would be able to um, experience at the same time and live in another world, that's a whole other ballgame. And at that level, the amount of computation needed would be something that we have to understand on the level of physics. And so when you start to dive into that, if it is possible on the level of physics, um, you know, to at least to, the, uh, to our minds, to the degree that we were able to understand physics, then it suggests a strong possibility, or at least definitely um, it's a possibility, I wouldn't say strong, but that we are already being simulated. Or at the very least, it definitely states that we don't know whether we're simulated or not, There's no, you know, but that it could, could very well be. So that's where simulation theory gets very interesting. And then if you think about the simulation in terms of this reality is what is being simulated, it makes you think, how do you know whether the level that is above us isn't simulated as well, and that there are more levels, right? So, 
there, there seems to be a really big question mark at the end of the question of physics, right? So if you start with one question about physics, which is how does things work? Uh, what are the limits of the physical universe and so on? You end up at the very end asking, well, if, if the physical laws apply um, to one universe, do they also have to apply to the simulated universe in that, in that form of existence? So that's a bit of tricky. I know I'm starting to get really weird and kind of deep here, but it just goes to show you that this thing can get really complex. So let's think about it a little bit more with an example. Can we do different things? Can we break the laws of physics in our simulations? Well, we do it all the time, right? In part, that's why we love video games. It allows us to bend or break the laws of physics and do many, much more than we can do in base reality. And so in that sense, it, it invites different questions as to, well, is the simulation on the higher level, right, if we are being simulated, are the laws of physics even more constrained than the ones that we're experiencing here? And it's hard to imagine that, right? It's kind of like, wow, how, how could things be less? Um, and how do you define less? So, for example, is gravity l more or less freedom? Because if everything's floating around all the time, then and you have to sort of, you know, try to keep it down or keep it near you at all times, are you really free? You know, are you free to use those... Uh, objects, uh, you know, or at least are you free in the sense that you have the time, um, or that you, yeah, do you have the time to always have to search for your objects because they're always floating around everywhere? So, in a sense, gravity offers a certain amount of freedom, which is okay, you place something somewhere and that's it, you don't ever have to worry about it again. You have the freedom of mind and, and time to not have to look for your stuff all the time. So, I know that's a really weird example, but it just makes you think about whether the laws of physics are intrinsically a good thing or a bad thing or useful or not useful, right? So what would it mean if the reason that we're being simulated is because on the higher level they have laws of physics that aren't as, um, you know, convenient maybe. Maybe in, in their universe things really do float around. There, there is no gravity on their planet or on whatever substrate that they can live on so yeah it's, it's strange right because you would think if we're being simulated why is it that <clears throat> it's incredibly dull incredibly um constrained and it's like well maybe it isn't constrained maybe it's different maybe it's very interesting in different ways right like if you're playing a video game do you just want to win five minutes into the game no matter what you do kind of boring so sometimes you do want to be restricted you do want to have some difficulties and some challenges and that's part of the freedom of having pleasure so yeah lots to be thought about lots of rabbit holes to go down and think about what simulation really is but what makes it really congealed and what can sort of inspire any sort of creativity when it comes to um, actually putting this into practice um, I would say is definitely the idea that simulation, whether it's possible or impossible, really has no relevance to the fact that the idea itself has philosophical value, and you can really enter in this weird, like I said, world of understanding 
the differences and the definitions between things and you can start to play with them so as to perhaps maybe actually create a simulation that has some interesting laws of physics or you know interesting characters and so on and so forth so that's a practical application but it also has a philosophical implication in the sense that you are starting to understand who or what you are or at least what the issues are what the problems are what the axioms are um, when it comes to your own life so simulation theory is a, a weird but interesting kind of theory and um, yeah I've never really kind of presented the whole theory to some someone the way that I just did now um, I, I have once actually and it was weird because I was driving from the east uh, Atlantic Canada all the way down to LA so I crossed uh, the states <clears throat> and we were I think in Colorado or Utah or something like that in the desert just driving pitch black outside it must have been two in the morning and I'm talking about simulation theory and it was just kind of interesting and mind-blowing for the person I was ex explaining it to and and at the same time it felt like existential because we are in this weird sort of beautiful desert at night talking about simulation you know you're looking up at the stars which is just beautiful out in the desert obviously so it, it was just strange right and um, talking about it or describing what simulation is what the possibilities are and why it's interesting and weird it kind of gives you an existential feeling sure but you know the reason I love to talk about these kinds of things it's not to feel existential I think a lot of people chase that like a drug almost and that's why people love movies and there's many movies that by the end I feel existential I feel like there's some sort of interconnectedness between me and the world and in essence that's something that drugs kind of make us feel a lot of them anyway as well as meditation and love you know what I mean so these are all different roots that we can take to feel existential however I really do want to make it apparent that the existential side effects of thinking about simulation theory and talking about it, it just like anything else is not and should not in my opinion be something that anybody chases um, because ultimately if you're just trying to feel like you're connected to everything then you ultimately start to separate yourself it's a weird kind of paradox but, but I believe that's to be true and the way I can give an example of that would be well okay let's say you want to feel more confident so you want to connect with yourself right you want to know who you are what you're capable of and so you go off and you drink alcohol which does what well it doesn't let you know who you are what you're capable of what it does is it, it, it completely reduces your inhibitions or at least greatly reduces them and it gives you a preview of what you could be capable of given you were to have actual confidence so you know people get caught up in the trap of drugs and anything else just to chase a feeling and so most feelings I believe is is based on connection and connection causes the sensation of existentialism right you feel some sort of connection to existence uh, or you feel like you you exist in some way like you feel alive so like I said it, it takes different forms and so 
again, the moment that you start to do that using the same example, you start to drink and you you fake this idea of confidence in yourself, where well, you're actually taking yourself further away because the next time that you go out and you see everybody else having a good time and drinking and they have all their confidence hats on as well, you don't seem to be able to be so confident unless you're drinking. So, you know, you down another two or three drinks to just get on their level. So you're really separating yourself at some point because you, you've accepted that that's the way to connect to your confidence is to drink. And that's actually not just a personal, individualistic type event. I think we experience that on a cultural basis, right? There's many cultures that, you know, we, they just accept it as the norm. You know, Germany, Ireland, Canada, um, you know, France, Italy, big alcoholic type cultures who accept it as the norm. This is how we come together this is how we connect we all go out we drink we do different things we party you know kitchen parties or you know wine parties whatever it is uh drinking at the pub so um to get back to the simulation thing a little bit the idea here is again not to chase the existential feeling and to try to convince yourself whether you're living in a video game or not i mean i think that's completely besides the point and um, I would say the point of it is, to reiterate what I said earlier, is to connect to yourself. And in order to do that, you can, you, ha you have to be introspective, right? Like I, like I said, you have to actually experience things. So to me, you don't have to sit there and just meditate. Although listening to yourself and letting things sort of happen is a way to connect. But at the same time, going out and experiencing things and being aware of them, what philosophers call dualism in a sense, which is always to have yourself at the back of your head observing what it is that you're saying and doing in the moment. So you could be skiing down an alp or swimming at the Dead Sea or partying in Rome. It doesn't matter whatever experience you're having. I think if you if you use that dualistic kind of sense of being by observing yourself doing those things, then I think you reach an ultimate connection. That is that is a type of meditation, right? Obser observation. That's something that most gurus and meditation type people don't really mention, I, I think. I'm not sure. Maybe they do. But that's my interpretation of what meditation is all about. You don't have to just sit there in a cave. Um... So meditation can happen in the midst of a big party. It really can. It doesn't have to be in a quiet place. So simulation allows us to do that in a big way. You're in. You're, you're really. It's one of those few topics upon which you really start to connect two things together: the external reality with the internal reality. Right? Is the world that I'm experiencing really the world? And is my mind something in it or apart from it and I'm just experiencing it through a character? You know, all these different things, you start to blend reality together. You start to see less separateness between you and the rest of the objects around you and, and, the, and the feelings that you're getting. So that may cause some existential feeling and a feeling of connectedness or maybe separateness as well. Either way, I think that has a lot of value. And... Um, I would strive to say that simulation is, you know, it might sound futurist and technological, but ultimately we always 
have had the simulation theory, right? When you're talking about religions in the past who say, look, this is a sort of level of reality that you're experiencing for a short amount of time and then you go on to another reality. In essence, it's almost like we are playing a video game. You know, here's, you know, Yuval Harari had a good way of saying it. He said, look, you know, religions are kind of like video games in the sense that if you do the certain amount of actions, uh, you kind of win a, a, a prize at the end in the afterlife, right? Um, and there are rules, and if you break those rules, you, you can either lose uh, or die, right? And then you end up in, in, in a bad place. So there's a motivation, a positive one and a negative one. You want to get to heaven and not go to hell. And there are different rituals and traditions that you do in your everyday life. And that's sort of like playing the game. So, again, simulation theory just brings... It cuts out all the bullshit a little bit more. And it seems to be something that people start to use in order to have introspection. And it's odd because, you know, in their churches or mosques or temples or any other place of worship, you would think that people would start to introspect directly a little bit more than, you know, than we normally do in, in our day-to-day -day lives. But they don't really do that that much. You know, we don't really observe the fabric of reality and its possible meaning and so on that much. You know, you just sort of tried to come to understand some form of parable or analogy that the sacred text has presented. And there could very well be some interpretation behind uh, a story or a parable in those texts that kind of resembles some sort of interpretation of what reality could be at, at its fundamental. But again, I don't think anything comes as close as simulation theory does in that regard. So... Well, I mean, when it comes to religion anyway, because you could look at astrophysics and sciences and philosophy in general and, and people um, start to come face to face with those questions a lot more. However, it's not that popular of a thing, right? How many people dive into astrophysics? Neil deGrasse Tyson would love that to be a thing, I think. And that's why he, he wrote a book called um, something along the lines of Astrophysics for People in a Hurry, I think. In any case... The value behind simulation theory is that it's so easy to get people, you kind of have the leverage and you kind of leverage them into that discussion by using simulation, right? People love to tinker around with the idea. And I think that's why The Matrix was such a, a hit as well, right? People kind of get a sense of, wow, there, there's perhaps a major ultimate shift in the purpose of all things. And... The Matrix really gets you to question that, right? That's the interesting thing about that movie. And various other movies that are relevant to that kind of topic, right? When we're talking about artificial intelligence, which is another topic that anybody uh, usually likes to have a, a say about, then it kind of, again, brings you to this shift in, in purpose. You know, who am I? What am I? Where am I going? Maybe there is something better for me. Um, and contrary to the evidence, people might think, well, in the Matrix, the purpose of having to fight these machines is not all that better of a purpose. However, I really want to make it apparent that people like to perceive things as good or bad, but a lot of the times they, 
they 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 kind of invert it, right? Sure, it seems bad on on the front of it, right? Okay, nobody wants to be enslaved by machines, but on the other hand, do you really want to live your nine to five, very very repetitive, kind of bland life over and over again without some big event? And this is why people like Doomsday Preppers, for example, love um, these kinds of movies. And in, gen- in, in general, I think humanity loves movies about the world ending and so on because of boredom, right? And I would say at that point, it, it's got to make you think, are you bored because you haven't done enough introspection uh, to understand you know, reality and who you are and, and all that? Or are you bored because you're you're just not appreciating who you are, right? Either way, you would think that the fact that people do focus a lot on these things and they want these big events to happen deep down inside, right? Wars and whatever. You would think, no, I don't think they've done the proper work in order to understand who they are and what's happening in their lives. Um, And so... I don't think people do that two, 2 plus 2 equals 4 thing, which is, well, if I do some introspection, I'll understand myself and reality more, and then I'll be able to do something about it. But instead of doing that, people kind of try to add 2 to nothing and then try to get to 4, which is basically, okay, I want things to change. I don't want to be bored anymore. And then um, I'm just going to straight up start believing in some form of event that's calamitous you know some kind of apocalyptic scenario or i'm just going to watch movies about the terminator or simulation or whatever in order to feel as if though it's it's going to happen and then i've kind of leveraged myself out of the boredom which i think is just bad it's just not a way to live you know such a waste and again i don't have any answers to any of those questions all i know is that i i i might not know what the what reality is, but I definitely know the questions that surround it, and I have found some kind of spark within myself that I can't describe, but if I could, then I think I would have the answer to the universe and what it is and all that on a much more direct basis, but I believe it is paradoxical. I believe reality is something way beyond what our minds can really comprehensively understand but we still have the ability to intuitively understand it and so there's got to be a bridge between those two right we've got to be able to let our intuitions inform our minds and our thoughts so that we can move forward and live better lives right without necessarily having the answer in a simple short manner In any case, you can see how big of a rabbit hole I've been going down. And I guess a big expression that I have here that's sort of bubbling underneath the face of it is that I am tired of living and meeting people who are just always in that kind of scenario that I just explained, right? The boredom. And they they just give up so quickly. It's like a kind of weakness and i just want to sort of shake everybody up and say look it's 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 confusing but at the same time it's beautiful you know there's something there and and we can have fun thinking about it and 
understanding who we are and, and so on, instead of just quickly giving up and seeing these movies and stuff, let's talk about cool ideas in reality and, and speculate what it could mean, right? And discover yourself over time rather than try to have an answer somehow, right? It's an ongoing process. Come on the journey with me rather than sit there and watch someone else have, have their journey in the space of two hours, right? In other words, watching a movie. So, yeah, interesting. And I think the kind of person I'm talking about is really well represented when it comes to this dude uh, who was asking something about the nature of simulation theory to Elon Musk. And so Elon Musk is having a speech on, on stage at some convention. And this guy comes up and asks a question. He says, you know, do you think we're in a simulation? Like, based on what you said about simulation theory, you know, it all kind of adds up. And then you were basically saying that we are right now in a simulation, right? And you could see that he wasn't really asking Elon whether Elon thinks that we're in a simulation or not. He was trying to conf get Elon to completely come out and say, yes, I believe we are in a simulation theory, so that he can sort of inspire more of the sentiment that there's proof, right? Look at this genius, uh, you know, a guy who knows a lot more than a lot of people and who has some kind of insight in the nature of reality, because look at all the things he's built and so on. That if someone like him believes it, then I can believe it too without feeling like I'm crazy. You know, you, you can see all of that in his face and in his sort of attitude. And um, needless to say, I think it was nice to, to see Elon kind of shrug him off in that sense. You know, he was just like, well, what kind of question is that, right? Like, you're, you're trying to pin me down here and that's not what, uh, what I'm trying to say. So, yeah, don't be that guy. <laughs> all right, till next time.